Well, it's like we always say, like, my relationship with God is, uh, it's not private, but it is certainly personal. I don't see him as being human, so you can't have a human relationship with him. Naniniwala ako na tayo mayroong personal na relationship sa Diyos dahil sa scripture at sa pagmamahal natin sa anak niyang si Jesus. There are people who believe that that uh, uh, what shirt I put on this morning, that, that God cared what shirt I put on. That's nonsense. I do think God is so big and so vast that um, we'll never get to know him exhaustively. I felt like I heard a voice from heaven speak to my situation and tell me that everything was going to be okay. And I've lived a blessed life since then, since turning my life to God. You have to experience it for yourself. I think it's it's something hard to describe unless you're actually willing willing to go there. Good morning. As Anson said, my name is Ben Dockery, and I get a chance to go on this trip in just, a few, in just this weekend uh, to Puerto Rico with a, a group of guys. We're going to be headed down there to fix some uh, broken things. Unfortunately, Anson wasn't able to go with us on this trip. He had ballroom dancing lessons that he couldn't, <laughs> couldn't break during the week, so he's got to go to those. Uh, one of the advantages of being the campus pastor is that you're not live to the other sites, so I can say whatever I want. And, <laughs> It doesn't mess up the dynamic at other places. So, um, Anson also said we're in the last week of Explore God, which is this uh, series for the last seven weeks. We've been asking questions um, that really are these metaphysical, these, these larger-than-life big questions that everyone needs to wrestle with at some point. So we've been looking at, is there meaning and purpose in life? A question uh, that needs to be addressed. And, and after that, is, is there the, what about the existence of God? Does God exist or not? And then moved into questions... Of, revolving around what do we do with pain and suffering? What, what do you do with evil in this world? And then moved into questions like, who did Jesus claim to be? And if he claimed to be the things he claimed to be, what does that mean uh, for us? And then this week, it's, it's all moving and been directing to this final week, which is the, a very personal question, and that is, uh, can you know God yourself? Do you know God yourself? So that's what I'm going to have a chance uh, to talk about um, here this morning. Um, there's lots of different ways to address this question, to kind of uh, tackle this. Um, and uh, what I want to say is that the best way to actually find out and meet God personally is to be introduced to God by someone who knows him. Uh, the best way to meet anybody is actually to be introduced to them by someone who knows them. That's why LinkedIn exists, right? That's why these dating apps are now narrowing down your potential uh, your potential um, dates to somebody that you have a reference point with so you can check who is this person. And when it comes to knowing God, actually, one of the best ways to be introduced to God, to know God personally, is somebody that knows God to um, introduce you to that person. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at three different um, people who encountered Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, if you're using one of those uh, paper Bibles underneath the pew. It's page 1051 if you want to flip there and follow along. John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 are these series of um, when John is recording the life of Jesus. Uh, there's several examples here of what happens. And these are people that are not just understanding about God. They're not just learning information. They're not just sort of in proximity to a divine being, but they're actually encountering God. They're personally knowing who this Jesus is and what difference that makes. 
Um, Before I read from John chapter 3 here, uh, just to set it up a little bit. So I'm talking to and I'm thinking about the audience, so I I like to go look at research on these types of things. And one of the more recent Pew studies says that in America, uh, that about 60% of Americans believe that you can actually know God personally. So about 60% of people believe that the answer to this question is yes, that you could personally know God. Now, what was interesting on the same survey, 2% of people who claim to be atheists also claim to believe you could know God personally. So somewhere in the survey data, right, there's operator error in, uh, in what that is. But there are categories and answers to this question that would show up on a survey like this. And one of the answers would be uh, that answer from an atheist, that there is no God. So certainly if there's no God, you can't know that God personally. Another one would be a deistic belief, and that would be that there is potentially this supernatural or divine being that exists, but that divine being has no interaction with humans whatsoever. Maybe maybe he or it created the world, but certainly there's no longer any interaction. So he he just exists out there, but he does not interact with humans. Another potential answer would be that there is a dualistic understanding of the world. In other words, there's a good force there's an evil force, and they're sort of battling it out in the world. And throughout history, sometimes it looks like the good force is winning, and other times it looks like the evil force is winning. But really, it's just a dynamic back and forth in between those two. But you're not going to actually know either one of those uh, beings that exist. Or a, many cultures throughout time have had, a, and many countries even today, have a polytheistic view of the world. And that is that there's not just one, not just two, but there's many. There's all sorts of different gods or forces that exist. And so if you're into farming, there's a God that's over farming. If, if you need rain, there's a God that's over rain. If you need uh, help with your body, there's a God that's over health, right? And so you're going to potentially relate to those, but most of the time those are not even seen as, as personal beings. And you can go down through the list of, of who those are. And at the end, there is, a, there is a great quote that I read this week that sums up some of the challenges that are revolve around how this question is first framed is, can you know God personally? And this is what it says. It says, how can God be our friend? How can we know him if he is transcendent and truly other? All ancient lands and cultures have had temples because human beings once knew innately that there was a gap. There was a yawning chasm between us and between the divine. God is great, and we are small. God is perfect, and we are flawed. So temples were places where there was an effort to build a bridge between to close the gap. So sacrifices and offerings were made, rituals observed by professionals, mediators, if you would, priests, pastors, who would seek to bring the remote divinity near to us. But all such efforts were understood as partial and at best fragmentary. So no religion claimed that the gap could actually be closed. Aristotle, for example, said that while it might be possible to venerate and appease the gods, actual intimate friendship with a god is impossible. The philosopher reasoned that friendship requires that both parties share much in common. They must be alike. But since God is infinite and he's greater than human beings, the possibility possibility of friendship ceases. Right, what Aristotle sums up and what many people have believed for all time is that there is no way that you could personally know God. Right? It's, it's like looking at the sun. If you stare at the sun, your eyes are obliterated. Right? It doesn't work. And so in the same way, God is, is much greater, much more transcendent, much, much further away, much 
greater than us, and so that if we were ever to encounter such a being as God, that right, we're done, we're over. So there, there's, there's no way that that can happen. There's three people in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 that uh, run across Jesus' path. And I want to look at those this morning to help us think about uh, the question. So John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, this is the first, uh, the first person. And I want to sum it up this way. I want, I want to say the first one we're going to look at is you're never good enough. The second one you look at is you're never bad enough. And the third one that we're looking at here is you're never out of God's sight. So number one, you're never good enough. This is a guy named Nicodemus. Verse 1 says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher and you've come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were with him. Jesus replied, Verily, truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again or born anew, your translation might say. How can someone be born when they're old? And Nicodemus asked, Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Very truly, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. For flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it pleases, as it did really hard last night, right? You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, who is this person that's asking the question? Each, each one of these people, I want you to visualize who they are because I think it's really helpful to uh, potentially relate to them. So Nicodemus is a religious ruler, right? He, he is an educated person. He is someone who has a virtuous way of life. This is a guy who shops at Whole Foods. He buys blue buffalo for his dogs, right? He does everything right. There's no chicken products in what he delivers to his family. He's a guy you would want your daughter to potentially bring home to the family because his character and the way that his moral structure and fiber sort of operates in the world, the reputation he has, the friends that he runs with, are on the good side of the ledger, right? This is a guy that you would hope that you could be friends with. This is a guy that everyone in community would respect. And yet, when he comes up to Jesus and asks him, by the way, he comes at night, right? So it's, it's sort of this sneaking up to, a small detail here, in potentially an intellectual way, Jesus, I want to know more about you. I've heard about some of the things you've done. So how do you uh, relate to God? That's what Nicodemus is trying to figure out here. And the answer is in some ways really shocking. Now, some of you may be coming in this morning and you have in your head this phrase, when you hear this phrase, born again, you have uh, maybe some negative connotations, right? You may have you may have a running script or maybe not an individual, but a group of people that you associate as born-again types, and you may not want to be associated with those. And my assumption is that's not because you have a problem with what Jesus says here in John 3, but maybe because it's somebody that you know and, or somebody you've seen on television. But here, when you see Jesus say, saying this to this man who has such a good life, and Jesus says, start over. You want to enter into the kingdom of God. You want to be on God's team. You want to be part of what it is that God is doing in the world. Well, your route to do that is to start over, to find a new life. One pastor said this. He said that Christianity, seen here in John chapter 3, this claim, is actually a challenge to the high sense of morality 
and holding to traditional values. Christianity is actually a challenge to a high sense of morality in holding to traditional values. Why is that? It's because if someone like Nicodemus, who most of us in this room don't have a resume that adds up to Nicodemus's resume, if he isn't good enough to essentially be on God's team without starting over and being born again, to use this phrase, well, who is good enough to do that, right? Who could actually enter into the kingdom? Who can actually be on, be a part of the work that God is doing in the world if someone like Nicodemus can't? And so you see in some ways that what Jesus is saying here is shocking because it's a challenge to the way that probably you and I often think about and break up the world. That in a way, your goodness can be a barrier to seeing God and to knowing God personally. This call to, um, this call to be born again actually uh, is, is looking back to this passage in Ezekiel where this, one of the prophets of Israel is saying there's this whole valley and there's, there's dry bones and I see people and there is no life that is there and there's no way that these bones can live, is there? Unless the Spirit of God comes into these bones and then life can be brought out. We actually sang that in a song, one of the lyrics earlier today. I don't know if you caught that or not, but the, these bones will sing, right? It's this reference back to Ezekiel, which Jesus is saying to this teacher of the law and he's saying in the verses right afterwards, you're a teacher of the law. What do you mean, how do you not know we must be born again? That's exactly what the prophet Ezekiel was saying. That's exactly what Jeremiah was saying when he's saying, it is better to know God than anything else. And to know God, what is it? The Spirit must be sent to people in order that they can know God. So number one, um, you're never good enough, and goodness can actually be a barrier to uh, knowing God. Number two is in John chapter 4. Now, this is a totally different scenario. It's, just, it, it's kind of the next thing that follows right after this. John chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse, in verse 4 here. This is a woman that Jesus encounters here as he continues to walk around and teach. Now, he's in the new town. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down by the well. It's about noon, and a Samaritan woman came to drink Water And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them, it will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So in both cases, Jesus responds with something that, that you know, takes the person that he's talking to completely off guard. The first one, well, how in the world are you going to enter back into your mother's womb? Another one is now, well, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to get water out of the well, right? He's saying something that means something so much greater than the circumstance that's happening there. So if the first person is this educated religious person, now we come to this individual who is the exact opposite, right? So it goes on in the text to say that uh, she, 
is talking back and forth to Jesus, and he says, you've had five husbands, and now you're living with a man who's not your wife. So this is somebody who has probably gone into her Instagram account multiple times and deleted old pictures because she doesn't want to be associated with some of those old relationships who are there, right? And if she showed up in your Force and Bluff magazine last week, you would be whispering about who she is because, wow, how did she get in there? Because she's this, she's this part of society. She, she's seen as someone with a resume who isn't the one that you want to bring home, right, for Thanksgiving dinner. It's the exact opposite of the first person here. And what happens is Jesus is saying, you're never bad enough. You're never too far gone. Because the first thing that he does here is not call her to a new life, but he gives her hope in the midst of that situation. And he says that I can offer living water. I can offer something that will quench what it is that's churning inside of you, that's gnawing at you, that's keeping you from sleeping at night. That is exactly what I have come to relieve. Now, this woman is probably a victim as much as a perpetrator, and maybe even more so because in this time in society, uh, women were not able to issue a divorce. Only men could do that. And so she's on her fifth husband and now living with someone else. She has undoubtedly been treated horribly by men, right? She's been used, maybe seen as a commodity, not seen as a person, not valued, not loved, not cared for, not sacrificed for. So she comes to Jesus in this broken way, and Jesus initially or immediately comes in and offers her hope. And unlike Nicodemus, who we don't actually know in John 3 what happens at the end of that, this woman gets excited by the hope. She goes back home, tells everybody, I have met the one that God sent. Right? You see this, this first intellectual approach that sort of softens and comes up to Jesus and it's inconclusive, but now you see this more emotional, this jubilant, maybe this conversion that that happens with this woman in her first encounter with who Jesus is. And she's infused with hope so much so that she goes home and she begins to tell other people about who Jesus is. Now, her barrier to overcome in order to know God was a barrier, uh, a negative barrier, right? She could hold on to all the guilt or all the pain or all the why in the world has this happened to me so that she would never see Jesus. But God is gracious to her, and she has faith, and she believes in Jesus at the end of the story. Now, there's one more story that comes. So first, you're never good enough. Second, you're never bad enough. And third, you're never out of God's sight. So look with me in John chapter 4, same thing. I'm skipping down now to verse 46. Verse 46. And this is a third person that encounters and runs into Jesus in this same passage. Once he visited Oh, sorry. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. And Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. But the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. In verse 50, Jesus says this. Go, for your son will live. And the man took him at his word, and he departed. And while he was still in his way, his servants met him, and the news with the, that the boy was living. And he inquired at what time the son got better. And they said, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. This is the exact time in which Jesus said, your son will live. So person number three is in a crisis situation. This is a royal official. Right, so this is this is somebody 
who uh, we don't actually know what town he's from, but it's a royal official and he has servants. So he's clearly wealthy. It's someone that would have access to anything and everything that could help his child out, right? This is, picture this guy, he's, he's got a, he drives a really nice car. Um, he is, uh, you know, series 12, court one at Knollwood in his paddle league. I mean, this is a guy who is, this is a guy who has access, right? This is a guy who has power. This is a guy who is probably good at most of the things that he does. He's a royal official. He has servants that do things for him, right? He wouldn't go draw water at the well himself. He'd send somebody to go do that for him. But yet, with all of his access, with all the leverage points that he might have in his life, he's now run into something where he is begging Jesus, it says. The phrase is that he comes up to this Palestinian teacher, this rabbi, and he's begging somebody that he hasn't met before to help him out with his son, right? It's a third situation, and it's actually a fairly common situation as I get older and older where people meet God in the middle of crisis, where all the other avenues, all the other boxes have been checked. There's nowhere else to turn. And so in a moment, they turn to God, and they cry out, and they say, God, whatever it might be, please help me with this. Please fix it. I can't do it. And so you see this powerful, this royal man who is begging for the help of God. Never out of God's sight is this little boy who God is helping. And it's oftentimes in the middle of crisis, the point in which we think that this is where God has not seen us at all. This is where we are sort of off the radar. (laughs) However far uh, the radar runs, we we have now traveled outside the distance of where it is that God is paying any attention to us anymore. And this isn't a sermon on pain and suffering, um, but if you're in that spot, I would encourage you to go listen to the sermon that was earlier in this series that Siler offered. It was just a, a great way to think through that point in your life. But what I'm showing here is that, that in this passage, it's actually a place where somebody encounters God. The best way to know God is to hear it from and be introduced uh, to God by someone who knows him. So I want to conclude the sermon this morning by just being a little bit more personal. Um, again, I'm not being piped out to all the other places, so I can kind of talk more to just our Lake Forest Sanctuary crowd. And so I was reflecting on all three of these passages, and I, I included all of them, not just one. I would love to have just done one, but I included all three of them because each one of them is such a different way in which Jesus is meeting someone, Right? And each person is very different in who they are and how and what they're bringing to the table and the barriers that they might have in order to not believe in God, to not follow Christ. Each one of them is there. So I want to I want to work backwards and tell you that in the same way that the um, in the same way that the royal man has had to beg had to beg God for help. I've walked through that in my own life. Uh, we in our marriage. Um, even in childhood at different times, have been in places where, holy smokes, I have no idea what to do. And everybody that I know and everybody that my dad knows and everybody that my granddad knows and everybody that I can think of that can help in this situation, there's nobody that can show up and do anything about it. And so you look to heaven and say, God, please help me. And God hasn't always answered the way that he did with this royal official, where there was this immediate response. But I can, I'll stand up here and i just tell you that in different times and in different ways, God has showed up in those situations in my life. 
And it is one of the ways that I now would say I know God really well is because of that pain and that suffering that I've been through. And that's one of the ways that I know God. In the same way uh, as the woman at the well who has a, at least aspects of her life that she probably doesn't want to show up and tell Jesus about. <laughs> there are aspects of my life that I don't want to show up and say, God, this is what I've got, right? This is, this is what I stand for. This is the decision I've made. And yet, in the midst of that, those times of failure and experiencing the grace of God and the forgiveness of God in those times are one of the ways that I would say that I have come to know God personally, is that my heart has been moved, my heart has been healed, my guilt has been removed because of the forgiveness and the grace of God. And then thirdly, like Nicodemus, this, this intellectual, he's, he's asking questions, he's showing up, and he's just sort of investigating, right? Maybe that's some of you. I thought early on in my life, and early on, I think I've even may have taught this in a Bible study a few times where the story ends there, but if you keep reading in John, did you know Nicodemus shows back up in the book of John? So John chapter 7, Nicodemus, there's, this, uh, there's another fight over who Jesus is, right, what he said, um, and he splits the room. Half the people say he's got to be the Messiah. The other half are saying let's, let's put him in jail. And in the middle of that, Nicodemus shows up and he says in John 7, verse 37, after Jesus has just said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, just like he did to the woman, and drink from streams of living water. Nicodemus says, our law, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears him out, does it? And it stops the conversation. It goes on. We don't know. Jesus ends up escaping from that moment. But you see Nicodemus just show up in this one verse, and now he's almost taking Jesus' side. He's saying, wait, 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 wait. Have you listened to what he's saying yet? We don't judge him before we hear it, do we? And then there's another time that Nicodemus shows up in the same account where John, at the end of John, John chapter 19, I've got this on the screen for you to look at. This is right after Jesus is killed. Jesus dies on a cross, and in verse 38, later Joseph of Arimathea, he asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. And Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. But with Pilate's, with Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Hmm. Interesting detail. The man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. And this time, what does it say? Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds worth. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. What's fascinating to me and really encouraging to me is that in this investigative process, in this sort of intellectual showing up at night, asking questions, just peering into this life of Jesus, that in the end you see this man who's now carrying the very body of this rabbi, this teacher off the cross that earlier he's asking these questions to. If you're asking me, what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to find new life? Oh, I think it means exactly what Nicodemus is doing here. Nicodemus is a transformed person, right? He's risking a whole lot to be seen by the Jewish leaders in that time, but carrying the body of this person that they just killed, right? He, he is now on, he's now transferred teams, transferred allegiances, and he is somehow by listening to, maybe watching, observing, thinking about what it is that Jesus is doing and claiming that now Nicodemus has changed teams and he is 
trusting in. He's putting his weight down on whatever it is that this man has said, this Christ. This morning, one of the things that I want to do and what we want to do as a church across all our campuses and all the venues is just making sure that you have a chance to feel invited to be on Jesus' team. Maybe for the last seven weeks you've been investigating. You've been asking questions. You've been showing up. We would invite you to put your weight down, put your faith, put your trust in Jesus who he said he was. For me, I work backwards through those situations of how I've known God. Well, without a doubt, the the thing that has stirred my heart the most, the thing that has brought life the most, the thing that I can say, oh, yeah, there is a way not to be thirsty anymore. There is a way not to rely on gifts. There is a way not to rely on what you can prove, what you can achieve, and it's by doing what Nicodemus did here. It's by seeing and experiencing Jesus' death, and not just his death, but his resurrection. That realizing that he died so that you don't have to die. And the good news of the gospel is that, the good news of the story of God is that Jesus did the thing that we couldn't do. We couldn't be good enough, couldn't even be bad enough. We're not out of Jesus' sight. But Jesus has done what it is we can do. And you can know him because he has made a way. So Aristotle, right, this great uh, quote earlier that he says, and he said, there's no way that, that, a, that a mortal person, an immortal person could know each other, right? There, there's no way this transcendent other God and these people that live in this side of this world could actually be friends. There's too big of a gap. And what Jesus does in his death, and I think Nicodemus experiences, is Jesus steps into the gap. And he says, yes, I am the judge on the other side, but I am also the bridge that gets you from one place to the other. And that good news of what Jesus has done is what brings life. It's what it means to experience new life. It's what it means to experience living water. It's what it means to experience healing. We don't get all our questions answered in this world, no. But we're inviting you to take a step toward Christ. And we're just standing up and giving testimony that it's possible. You really can know God. My challenge to you today is this. There's barriers in your life. There's significant barriers uh, are going on in your life uh, to taking a step like this or continuing to take a step to believe in God. And this is the challenge I would issue. Identify what those barriers are. Take time to ask the question, what is it that's keeping me from personally knowing God? Secondly, don't trust that you see all those. Ask somebody else. So talk to somebody about your relation with God. We have discussion groups for things like that, but just encourage you to talk to somebody else that's there. Almost everything that you learn is learned best in community because you get other perspectives than just your own. Right? You see what's behind you. You see what's on the side. So I encourage you to talk to somebody else. And then lastly, um, encourage you to maybe talk to somebody at our church. Maybe talk to one of the pastors. Talk to your small group leader. Uh, talk to somebody that's walking around here and ask them, what is it like to know God? Can you tell me the way in which you know God? And allow that person or that group or that class to walk with you in the days ahead. It doesn't always happen in an instant. It happens over time. I encourage you to keep coming back uh, and thinking about these things that we have been talking about in this series. As we wrap up, one of the things we want to do is I just want to give you a chance to, I'm going to give you a chance to think for a second. I'm also going to pray a prayer. And if uh, throughout this series you have wanted 
to know God. You have wanted to put your weight down on Christ. You've wanted to believe that you're actually loved. I'm going to pray a prayer that you could repeat uh, in your own heart where you are as a way to communicate to God. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for communicating to us. Thank you for coming to us in the form of your Son, Christ. We trust, as we heard last week, that the way to find life is the way to find the person of Jesus. And so help us to do that. Father, there might be people here today that want to say something like this, that maybe they've always believed that you are real, but they've been relying on their own competency or maybe just their own decency and moral standing. But today, they want to transfer their trust to you and ask that your life and your death would count for them. Maybe there's people here today who want to say, I've never been able to believe that I'm loved by anyone, much less by a divine God or by the creator of the universe. There's too much that's true about me that no one could love me. And God, I pray that your spirit would break through and allow them to just ask for help, help in believing that you truly love them and that you've shown and demonstrated your love by giving your son Christ and by him giving his life. So now we, uh, we all want to respond. We want to ask that you would continue to push us further and deeper into a relationship with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.